You're listening to Second Stories, created and produced by Second Story, with me, Abigail Brocker, as your host. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia, working to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. We help homeless youth and youth in crisis step away from their first story, one often marked by abuse, hardship, and crisis, and write their own second story, full of hope and promise. In this episode, we're speaking with Kathy, Second Story's senior therapist. She leads Second Story's counseling and mental health evaluations, working both to support staff and implement best practices, and also one-on-one with youth struggling with their mental health. She talks to us about the relationship between COVID-19 and mental health, and why this has been an especially challenging time for the young people we serve, and really for all of us. Kathy, we have heard from you before on the podcast, but for those people who have not heard that episode, can you start off by telling us a bit about yourself, your role at the organization, uh, how long you've been here, and maybe how your work rhythm has been adapted because of coronavirus? Sure. So I'm Kathy Ben. I'm the senior therapist here at Second Story. I started uh, back in 2011 as a therapist with the Homeless Youth Program, and then transferred as I got my license to more of a supervisory role. So I help with clinical matters throughout Second Story and also supervise uh, graduate and undergraduate level interns that are getting clinical counseling degrees. So I work a lot with the Teens in Crisis Program and also with the Homeless Youth and Rapid Rehousing and Young Mothers programs. You work in a lot of our programs. Yes, I do float a lot. (laughs) You provide so much support. (laughs) Well, I try to. I'm used to being at the Gallows Road Center Monday through Friday, regular business hours, and then staying into the evenings if I am needed. And so during the beginning of this, uh, the three supervisors that work mostly supervising the residential programs, decided that we wanted to have the least amount of people in the Teens in Crisis building during this. So we started alternating weeks. So I now work from home two weeks and then in the Teens in Crisis building for a week, Um, which has been difficult in that most of my work is with staff and clients in the building, but also um, I have been able to get some things done when I've been at home, but I'm also missing out on being a presence to help staff and clients when there are crises. So, so it's been a challenge for all of us, but you know, we're, (laughs) we're doing the best we can. And now that we're starting to reopen, the interns have started back and they're really helpful. We're taking, we're able to take more clients at the Teens in Crisis program. Uh, we haven't taken volunteers back, but that's our next step as we, you know, get our COVID precautions more in control and get the teenagers to wear their masks more often to, so that we can protect everybody. <laughs> right, right. Which I know all of that is really challenging as everyone's experiencing in their personal lives with some of the conflict in that it's in our programs too. 
And I know yes. that you guys are largely responsible for making sure everyone stays safe. So that's no small feat. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about mental health and especially how that has been a factor for our youth and in our programs throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. First of all, to just kind of set the stage for us, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how mental health is integrated into all of our work and specifically we're a licensed mental health facility, but can you tell us what that means, how it impacts our programs and our support? Of course. So all of our programs work with young people at risk. So our community-based programs work with elementary school children who are at risk due to poverty or due to families in unsafe or marginal places. Our homeless youth programs are young adults who are living you know, in a place not suitable for people to live or they're sleeping on someone's couch because they can't stay with their families for whatever reason. Our teens in crisis, most of those Teenagers are living with family, but they're struggling with behavior issues, mental health issues, you know, so there's sort of an underlying current of depression, anxiety, PTSD, mood disorders, ADHD involved with police or courts. Um, Many of them have trauma and abuse histories, so some of them are involved with Child Protective Services. There's just a whole layer of mental health issues that underlie all of our programs. So staff need to be just really aware of the way they talk to youth, the way they support them, the interactions that we all have. It's just, you know, being mindful of the way these young people with a lot of history, especially trauma, it can impact their day-to-day living. And, um, you know, sometimes that can present very frustrating for our staff who are trying to help. And yet, you know, youth seem to be doing things that are counter to that help. (laughs) Right, right. So I've heard this idea I'm really interested to hear what you think of this idea as an actual mental health professional. This Mm -hmm. idea that COVID-19 is collective trauma for all of us. All of us have been put in a position where we perceive where actually our way of life is threatened. And so it might compound on other kinds of trauma and make the situation even more challenging. Is there any truth to that? Is there any merit to that? Oh, absolutely. I have seen a graph that had different layers and it started with Uh, people who have no mental health diagnosis. And then it had a line across with during COVID, we're having trouble sleeping. Um, They're having, you know, nightmares, anxiety, uh, fear of going out, like all of the things that people are experiencing during COVID. And these are folks that have no mental health diagnosis. Then the next list was people that have, you know, may have a diagnosis or may have symptoms that would possibly bring them to a clinical level. And, you know, this is not like, you know, lots of people have depression, but it doesn't rise to a clinical level. So, so there's that category. And it, and the other side of that was increased, you know, anxiety, depression, sleep issues, 
And then, you know, the next section of people were those that had a clinical mental health diagnosis and might be getting services. And, you know, every step of the way, each set of populations was feeling more and more mental health symptoms. So it's understandable in a time when there's so much uncertainty, there is um, you know, we have no idea what this virus is doing or where it's going to lead or, or who's going to get affected or um, the potential for, you know, serious chronic illnesses or death. So, you know, that's a huge impact on all of us. But if you're already having trouble sleeping and trouble having trouble with anxiety and depression or, you know, every time you're mind wanders, it goes to the what ifs and the, the catastrophic thinking of, you know, I'm definitely going to get it and I'm, or I'm going to get sick or I'm going to pass it on to someone else. You can see how this would blow up your entire life. Then tell those people that they have to stay in a small room by themselves for months on end. Right. Yeah. So you can see how this would just, I mean, for someone and, and for some of our clients, you know, if you're in a small room in someone else's house or you're renting a small apartment with your kids or you're, you know, living with a family who's having some issues and you're having to stay with all of those people 24-7 for weeks on end, you can see how this would really impact your ability to function and relate to others. And, you know, even trying to work, um, you know, we've heard from two-parent households with kids trying to be in school and they're having challenges working. So if all of us have focus issues during this time anyway, I mean, I, you know, you hear people saying, doesn't matter what we talked about, it kept going back to COVID. That's this crisis response where, you know, all of us are going through that. Even if you try not to talk about COVID, it goes right back to it. Those are all stress responses. And we know that prolonged stress causes physical illness. So, you know, for our population who are already stressed about, you know, unstable living situations, unstable working and financial situations, unstable, you know, relationships, you can see how this COVID has been sort of a perfect storm for right. furthering crisis responses. Right. Well, and you said another thing that I know has been a factor is that a lot of the youth that we work with work in the types of jobs that people have been laid off from. So yes. that adds a whole nother level of anxiety and stress because they're now in a difficult financial situation. Is that something that we've seen a lot as youth coming to us and saying, you know, I might already struggle with anxiety or depression, but now I'm in this desperate situation and I'm really struggling. Yes. And we have, you know, fortunately, we have been able to cover rent for most of our young people in our homeless youth programs, which has been, you know, that's been a godsend because if we had to to discharge people because they weren't paying rent or if they lost their landlords because they couldn't pay rent, then that would just compound their risky situation. So yes, we have stepped in and paid more rent, um, which has been helpful. Some of our clients have been able to still work and a, a lot of them have lost their jobs. And then some of them are, you know, fearful and anxious and are staying home, you know, except to go to the grocery store. We gave everybody masks so that they could, you know, do the things they needed to do. We've had clients 
who have just not been able to cope with staying inside. Like, you know, their anxiety is the, the opposite end. I can't sit in here. I'm going to go crazy. I have to get out. And so some of them have been putting themselves and or their children at risk because they can't stay home. They have to get out. And there's only so much talking you can do to somebody about quarantine and the best thing for you and your children is to stay home. But if their mental health is at a point where that's just not going to work for them, then you know, we try and support and talk about coping skills and brainstorm with them. How can you stay safe even though you need to get out of your house? Right, right. So as someone who is experienced and skilled in the mental health field and they know really believes in what mental health support can do, can you just tell us a little bit more about why it is so important that we're able to provide counseling and that kind of support to the young people in our programs? Oh, sure. So many of our young people don't have a solid support system. They don't have an adult they can trust. They have been used and abused by partners or by family members, and they don't trust. So having a a staff person from Second Story bring them food and drop it at their door, bring them cleaning supplies, bring them a mask to wear, call them weekly or more or text them, you know, they've already developed this relationship over time and it becomes a lifeline if you're stuck in a room or an apartment by yourself, being able to reach out to somebody that you know will get you food if you need it. That's essential. You know, sometimes when we're in crisis, as we go back to our baseline of, do I have shelter? Do I have food? Do I have a sense of safety? And that safety can be elusive. But if you know that you can text or call someone even just to talk, to help you problem solve and to help you, you know, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to look for a job? Nobody's hiring right now, or I'm looking for a job, but I can't find one. To be able to have a second story person say, don't worry, we've got your back. We we can pay rent. You know, nobody's hiring now. You're not going to lose your housing. Don't worry about it right now. I think that's been wonderful. And we've heard from clients who have said, I don't know what I would have done without your program to help. Yeah, I know. I've been hearing that as well. I know you hear it more often than I do because you're in more close contact with um, clients, but it just seems to be such a common refrain of like, especially in this time, I'm not sure what I would have done. So specifically with Second Story for Teens in Crisis, I know this is one of the things that we were kind of curious about and we've been kind of still waiting to see how it will shake down, but the balance between a family feeling comfortable with their child going somewhere outside the home in the midst of quarantine, but also the fact that like you were saying, when families are in small spaces confined together and there's already tension, it just exacerbates things. How have we been seeing things change at Second Story for Teens in Crisis, maybe with families? Yes, uh, certainly at the beginning, everybody was hunkering down and we thought it was temporary at the beginning. So I think families were just managing and the fear of letting anyone out was difficult. And we had, you know, we would get a lot of phone calls, but when it came down to, you know, yes, your child can come in, the fear of, oh my goodness, I can't send my child to a group home type place because 
they might get something and they might bring it back. So the, so the beginning, we were slow doing a lot more, you know, talking over the phone. And I, I think we really haven't seen the peak yet. I think over time, we have had a lot more calls over the last month. And we have, you know, we went from taking one or two teenagers who were in a safety problem. And we were getting some youth who just were running away and families didn't know where they were, what they were getting themselves into. And they were worried about their own health and their health of people in their family. So, um, you know, some of them were saying, I need him, you know, this child to be safe in a place because right now he's just not safe running around the neighborhood. So in the beginning, it was those type of teenagers. I think more in the last month or so, it has been more family crises. And I think you can do some things for a couple of weeks or even a month, but then as time has worn on and this feels like it's going to be more of a longer term change of lifestyle, change of the way things are going, I think there's more families that are saying, we, we can't do this anymore. Like we've put up with a lot, we've struggled with a lot. And you know, either there's a big crisis or a big fight that happens because of some things that are happening at home. We've had some situations where the youth are at risk or are, you know, either the behaviors or the family situation, or sometimes the families are in crisis just besides COVID and COVID has just made it so much worse. So we've, um, we've definitely seen an uptick in phone calls and um, families actually being willing to have their young person come and stay with us for a couple of weeks. Right. Interesting. And how have we adapted that support, specifically counseling and whatnot, with, like, for example, families not being permitted in the shelter right now? How has that gone with doing things virtually? Uh, it's been a challenge. We're not having any families in the building except, you know, one parent to to sign our admission paperwork, but the families are allowed to come visit in the backyard recently. Nice. Um, So we're not having other kinds of visitors, mostly just family, but we don't really want them off property and then coming back. So they're, they're mostly going to visit at the picnic tables in the backyard, which has been nice. The hard part for the teenagers is that instead of being stuck at home with the same people, they're now stuck at the teens in crisis program with the same people. So it's been a challenge. There's a lot of pushing back on the rules. When families are in crisis, having schedules and rules is comforting. But I think during this COVID time, it's been harder for the teenagers to be willing to follow the rules and the the schedule. We keep getting, you know, it's boring. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. You know, my coping is talking to my friends on the phone and I can't do that. I mean, that's always been the case. You know, they can talk to them on our resident phone, but not on their cell phones. But I think now in this time, I think they're more sensitive to, you know, we're all more dependent on our electronics than we used to be. And I think teenagers are the same way, you know, when they were home on their phone 24 seven, and now we don't let them have their phones. So it's been a challenge to try and keep them occupied and working on their issues when, you know, none of us are working on our issues right now, because it's, it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. So I think that's an ongoing challenge that we're going to face just during this 
this time. Plus, it's, you know, it's perfect storm. It's not just COVID. It's the economic trouble. It's the Black Lives Matter and the protests and all of the stuff that keeps happening is putting everybody on a different level of overwhelming emotional response. And that's impacted us as well. Yeah. I I mean, has this felt like new territory for you in a sense with, because you're our senior therapist, so the mental health aspect of it, I know ultimately you're the leadership of that. Have you had times just been like, wow, I've, I've not had to deal with this kind of storm before or what has that been like? Yes, for sure. For sure. You know, the COVID stuff was anxiety producing, you know, the uncertainty, the the fear. Lately, we've been seeing more anger and frustration and just pent up historical trauma. Like it's the emotional response. And especially for teenagers who have so many other issues, it feels like to so many of our teenagers, it's not just overwhelming, it's beyond overwhelming. It's above and beyond anything that we've seen, I mean, at least since I've been there. It just brings a new level of challenge uh, for all of us in how do you keep people hopeful for their future and, you know, working on things when, you know, some, and this is some teenagers anyway, feel like there's, you know, there's no future, the state of the world is terrible, you know, that that is a perennial adolescent, um, you know, mindset when you start realizing how much of reality is, it, you know, they're facing. But somehow this feels deeper and stronger than um, what we've been dealing with in the past. Yeah. Wow. Do you have you had a lot more um, mental health needs or counseling needs with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and the protests and these questions of race and things like that? Yes, absolutely, because it's affecting staff as well. You know, it's not just clients and teenagers. It's staff dealing with their own emotional response to all of this. So it's hard when you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed yourself with everything going on to then be able to keep yourself calm and composed when you're talking to teenagers because you're the adult you're supposed to be able to keep yourself in control and for a lot of our staff it's it's just hard um so it's exhausting you know i've heard from some of the interns that we've had that you know they have to take a nap after some of the therapy that they're doing with clients because their own sense of being overwhelmed by the world is compounded by hearing the clients being overwhelmed by the world. Well, I'm thankful that we have you to help guide us through this. You're very capable, and I always really appreciate hearing from you. It's just very clear that you know your field very well, and it's been interesting to hear your thoughts on this stuff. Thank you. I feel like there's always more to learn. (laughs) But isn't that part of what makes you good at your job is you're always eager to learn more as this adapts and evolves. Yeah, I guess so. I think it is. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for talking to me. You know, I appreciate all of the support and the help that we have received from the community. I think that's been really important and really empowering to feel supported by so many people who are helping in so many different ways. 
that's that's really been wonderful and our clients have told us wow you you know you're bringing me so much food i really appreciate it but i think beyond that the you know that supportive network that we're trying to build is it's not just one staff person being involved with one client it's the whole network behind that staff person and i think that helps our staff be able to be hopeful and <laughs> Um, and feel supported during this challenging time. And um, I know that they appreciate it and I do too. Yeah, I completely agree. It's been very encouraging to me to see the response from the community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Second Stories. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so thankful if you rated our podcast and left us a review. Be sure to also hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Second Stories is created and produced by Second Story with support from our technical director, Franklin Vaughn. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia that works to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. Learn more about what Second Story does and how you can support us at second-story.org. We hope you'll join us next time.